Hello and welcome to the Star Bros Podcast. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jan Solo. And I'm here with my co-host, Ben Skywalker. How are you doing today? Dude, I'm, good. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. I'm just glad to be out of the house. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's nice to have you back over. We're coming up on Labor Day weekend. <sighs> I can't wait for a, I almost took Friday off work just to make it a four-day weekend. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of people are going to be off, so hopefully yeah. it's going to be quiet. I wish that's what I did, but anyway, I'm going to visit some family this weekend. What about you? Okay, nice. Uh, We're not doing anything, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Okay. (laughs) I know you love that movie, so I had to throw in a good Napoleon Dynamite reference. (laughs) Well, we got a couple of uh, exciting things to talk about today, right? This is Mandalorian Part 3. Yeah, dude. Um, We've um, been talking about what Mandalorian for, well, quite a while, it feels like. but A month, uh, I guess. Yeah, exactly. A month and a half almost. Yep. Um, So we're excited to finish off with episodes seven and eight today. Uh, We got a couple of items of business that we need to take care of. Let's attend to that. Let's attend to that first. So the first one at the end of the last episode, uh, we were talking about Funko Pops, Yep. which by the way, I talked to somebody who said that they needed some clarification about what those were. And I realized I didn't really define them. So they're they're the little bobbleheads. That I'm sure you've seen on somebody's desk at work because I've got six on my desk. And they're little collectibles, right? How else would you describe them? Yeah, I mean, they're um, they're a little bit cartoonish. So yes. they're recognizable characters from Star Wars and from other movie franchises and video games and stuff. But their heads are, are really big. They've got these big eyes. And I guess they're just kind of cute and cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah, they're just kind of fun. It makes you, I think I said this last time, it makes you feel like you're owning a part of your favorite genre, movie, whatever it is, TV show. So we talked about a few that I was considering to buy. I bought one. Actually, I bought some. Oh. Uh, I ended up getting one from Marvel, too, from okay, uh, cool. Endgame. But I got two Star Wars one. So the first one, mm-hmm. any guesses on what it is? So I was I, I was telling you before that I know that you're a big Darth Vader fan, and so I assumed that you went with a Darth Vader Funko. You thought I went with a meditation chamber. I, I did. And I was so close to getting it, but I went with the electrocuted one. Oh, nice. That, that's a really cool one. And it the, what tipped the scale were two things. One is I couldn't think of where to put the meditation in my room that wouldn't make my wife really mad. And <laughs> It's a little creepy. It, it is, right? It's like, who is that deformed figure there, and why is it taking up so much space on my dresser? Uh <laughs> And this one, because it's actually one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars. Mm. I love the scene where he saves his son, where he saves Luke and yep. intervenes. And to me, that's what this is showing me is one of my favorite scenes. That, that's a nice tie into today's conversation about the Mandalorian, because that's a redemptive yeah. moment. And it we'll is. be talking about Chapter 8 Redemption today. Exactly. But I got one more. And this one's not for me. Oh, baby. It's for you. You're kidding. It's yours. Get out. You said you really like Han and Carbonite. No way, dude. So I got Thank you, you so much. Oh, let me see that. Now, it is not mint in box because when I got it, his head was a quite crooked. So I had to open it and change his head to where it should be. Which <laughs> then is when I, I was surprised. It's actually a bobblehead, too. Oh, man. Like, that's there's so a spring cool. on his head. It's weird. Oh, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's really that cool. On your desk. I, I'm going to put that on my desk and I'm going to I'm gonna look at it every day while I'm on my, my phone calls and my Zoom meetings and so on. That's so cool, dude. Thank oh, you very much. Boss, look at that. I didn't realize that that was the 40th uh, anniversary oh, celebration. That's so cool. That was just released this year, I guess. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Look at that. So, enjoy. Oh, very cool. Another pop for your collection. Thanks, dude. Number 364. Yeah, I think this is my fourth or fifth one. I, I, I can't remember how many I have at work, but thanks, dude. I appreciate it. This is the second one that you've gotten me. I think so. The first one I got you was uh, BB-8 from Last oh, Jedi. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. good one. Anyway, what else we got today? Um, I, I've got one thing for you. Um, so, you know, before we discussed uh, the expanded universe and we talked about uh, Star Wars books. Yes. And I just finished up and I promised that I would hand off to you Shadows nice. of the Empire by Steve Perry. Perfect. I can read my first one. <laughs> That's a very shameful thing to say. As no, a host no, it's, of all, a it's all right. Star Wars there, podcast. There's a million of them. But um, so a couple of things that I think are particularly interesting about this one, and I can't remember if we've talked about this before or not, but um, Shadows of the Empire was a weird experiment at Lucasfilm. And what they tried to do is recreate the uh, the marketing blitz and the advertising and the multimedia, I guess, merchandising of a major motion picture without a movie. So they had this novelization of this story come out that takes place between Empire and Return of the Jedi that was, I don't know if it was hastily written or not, but it seems like they just churned out all this content really quickly. So you can actually go on Spotify and listen to the Shadows of the Empire score for the film that doesn't exist. Weird. Yes. And they had, I think, video games and comic books, and this book was sort of the centerpiece of everything. Um, there are dynamite moments in it that are just really entertaining and fun because you already know almost all the characters. Sure. These, are, these are the characters from the original trilogy uh, with a couple of new ones sprinkled in. Um, the one that I'll mention that I think is kind of funny but super likable is... Um, the writer realized that people loved Han Solo. Everybody loves Han Solo. Of course. But in this phase of the story, Han Solo is frozen in carbonate, like my uh, Funko. Yeah. So they have a Han Solo replacement character called Dash Rendar. Oh, I've heard of him. You've yes. heard of Dash? Yes, okay. I've heard of Dash. And, and Dash is basically just like the super cool aloof guy who's a terrific pilot and kind of gets away with everything in terms of like risks that he takes and so on. But uh, he's a really entertaining addition. But the whole time I kept thinking to myself, this is like Han 2.0. <laughs> There's no version that is better than Han Solo. There's no though. version that's better than Han. Yeah. He so it's is. like, it's, it's like, um, you know, when you see uh, a celebrity's sibling and you're like, oh, like kind of like Frank Stallone kind of looks like Sylvester Stallone, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's kind of what Dash Rendar is to me. It's like. Hemsworth's brothers, you know, right. you've got Chris Hemsworth and his brothers. Who Randy all Hemsworth. Amazing. Right. <laughs> That's actually a really good episode of The Good Place. Uh, getting off track now. Yeah, Thank you. That's I okay. appreciate this. Yeah, read it. Give it a shot. Um, enjoy it. And uh, let me know what you think of it. And um, yeah, for anybody else out there who's read it, if, if you want to let us know what you thought about Shadows of the Empire, or if you have a favorite Funko or you have a favorite Expanded Universe book, uh, maybe tweet us at Star Bros Podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, um, and so that actually gets us right into the episode. So we got a couple of news items we're going to cover first. Uh, so we'll get to that, and I then can't we wait. Will talk about seven and eight, chapter seven and eight of the Mandalorian, and then we'll actually end on Star Wars fandom where we're going to speculate what we'll see in uh, in season two, and more importantly, we're going to use questions that um, I received from some of our fans out there we have fans out there um and they ask some questions people are skeptical i mean i know i'm skeptical um i mixed them with my own questions so cool. we'll kind of discuss those and get a little bit more pumped for season two so let's get into it first segment we have from across the galaxy a couple of items and news that we want to cover the first one good segue is the official release date of season two yeah, we we finally got it um, today, I believe, this morning, it and it's going to be October thirtieth. 
So the headline that I saw was, Bandalorian slides in before Halloween. <laughs> well, because they promised October is when it was going to come out, and it's and, it's as late as you can go and right. not have it on Halloween, which is a you know a big night that t- typically well, is a big distraction for people. Exactly, I was going to say you can't even do it that night because nobody's going to be watching. I mean, some people will, but some most of them will. will be dressed up as their favorite Star Wars character. Right. So that's exciting to me, just to know that we have a date now. But there's one thing missing. We we still haven't gotten a trailer. Right. And and I'm not one that's like, we need a trailer, give it to me now. I'm going to watch it anyway. I just want to see something to get me a little bit more pumped and yeah. speculate and things like that. That's I, all people really want. I agree. I agree. And you know, I'm, I'm seeing on Twitter these days that you know a lot of people are saying, hey, do we even really need it at this point? Because no. that, that's next month. And I agree to that. I, I agree with that to a certain point. Um, but like you... I'm just really excited and I wanted to I want to lean into that excitement and just see a little bit more of what we might expect because well, we haven't we haven't gotten much. That's what I was going to say. We've gotten nothing. We've gotten a lot of rumors. Ahsoka's going to be in it. Uh who else? The unconfirmed, Fett, right? Timothy Olyphant is going to play a guy. Uh, yeah, all all unconfirmed. Right, all unconfirmed. We have no idea what's actually going to happen. Just that a few confirmed uh, cast members from season one are going to be returning. And that's really it. Yep. We don't know plot details. We know nothing. The the last time that Jon Favreau's given us anything about it really was uh, in December of last year when he yeah. tweeted a picture of a Gamorrean. That, uh, that's right. I remember that. That was it. That's a long time ago at this point, and we haven't gotten anything else to go on. Now, we did get one extra thing today, which I texted you about, I think is telling us something. It was just a simple picture of the Mandalorian Right, where you had the uh, silhouette yeah. of the Mandalorian himself and, and the child making the A in the middle of Mandalorian, uh, which is you know really unique from an art, artistic perspective. But there's something different about this one versus the first one. Mm-hmm. The first one was much more w- warm. Mm-hmm. They're warm colors. It was using some oranges. It was having the sun in the background and everything, which now I look at it and I think that must have been a setting sun because this one is using darker tones. It's colder, mm-hmm. right? It's using more blues and blacks and... Mm. And it looks as if the sun is set. So I almost look at that. Like, is that foreshadowing at all for what we're going to experience uh-huh. in this one? I think we need to be prepared for it. a little bit darker of a season. Okay. Um, I think some stuff is going to happen that's going to be heavier. Maybe the child gets taken by Moff Gideon. Who knows what it is? But I do think it's foreshadowing a little bit of uh, a struggle for the Mandalorian in this wow. one. So. Think of like, I hate to relate it to this. I, my wife is going to love it, but I'm going to hate myself forever. It's kind of like Twilight. That's what the Twilight series was <laughs> like. What, I was wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> she loves Twilight, right? But I'm like, I watched the movies once with her just to say I did it and I'm done. But it's kind of like that. Like the, the naming of the books were like Twilight all the way through to Breaking Dawn, right? It, it kind of reminded me of that. Just seeing that it went from the sunset in the one, uh, the kind of the Western feel of season one to this darker sun is set, you know, blue tones, you know, beautiful, hmm. but kind of leaves you with a feeling of this is going to be different. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm sure that's all deliberate. So we're, yeah. we're going to get into a lot of speculation at the end of this episode. Yeah. Spoiler alert. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was uh, news number one. Yep. News number two was we speaking of two, we got two trailers this week, but not trailers for The Mandalorian, not trailers for any movie that's coming out, trailers for some video games, right? Squadrons specifically and Lego Star Wars, the yeah, Skywalker and, saga. And and the the Twitter uh, Star Wars 
fan universe went bananas over the Legos one. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people were really excited about Squadron 2, but um, especially about the Lego one because the trailer was really cinematic, covered so much of the story, and um, just really had some genuinely emotional moments in it that I think people were just like, give me this game now. Yeah, and they used the music that they used in the trailer for Rise of Skywalker, if you noticed, oh, which is yeah. uh, a gut-wrenching performance, honestly, mm. of of some of the best music that John Williams put together. It was a great arrangement. Yeah. And they just pulled that back in. So that's what pulled at my heartstrings again was knowing that they were using this music that I just just love. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was one thing I noticed. The second thing was a lot of great humor at some great moments. So I'm excited for the way that they'll kind of play lightly with the story, yep. you know, and the graphics look amazing. Like it looks part, really... What was the part that I loved? It was the part with... Uh, uh, the Emperor? Ray. Oh, the Emperor, yeah. yeah. No, that was good. I was going to say Ray when she was on the wreckage of the Death Star jumping across Yeah, uh, the looked wreckage. really cool. Right, that was so neat. I just I got excited all over again. Yeah, I, I, I know that a lot of people are um, really digging into it and some people are upset because it seems like uh, a lot of those characters are going to be behind, be behind a paywall. Um, so some people are starting to speculate mm. that that could be frustrating, but we're not going to go there yet. For now, it looks They're like... they not known the... for doing that, though. What's that? Lego's not known for doing that. Not that I knew of, but um, huh. you never know. Uh, hmm. But right now, I, I I am positively inclined. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, like you said, the, the humorous moments are genuinely humorous. They're really good at that. So um looks like it's going to be great. It it just came with one piece of bad news. What's that? It was supposed to come out in winter. Oh, and it's delayed? It's delayed to spring 2021. Hey, if they get it right, you know, there's a classic line in the video game industry that um, a game that you ship too soon is bad forever. But a game that you delay might end up being good. So, Speaking of which, I ended up seeing, uh, as I was browsing through some new games this week on my PlayStation 4, Star Wars Racers. What's that? Like it was pod racing? A game, pod racing, yeah. But it was a game that I had when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure that was the same game. I looked at the graphics. I'm like, that, that looks like the game I played. And it was pod racing. Right? Well, what was that for? Nintendo 64? I had it on the 64, yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's the same one. But it's, it's it got me excited. I almost bought it. And it was like <laughs> 8 bucks. So I might actually go back and buy it and replay that because yeah, it's so much fun playing that as so, a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Pod racing. Loved it. Uh, so that was one exciting trailer to watch. I, I got goosebumps watching it. Me too. And then Squadron. And it, and it was a long one too. It, it was cinematic in that sense too. Like it was yes. like um, when you go to see Two a movie and, and there's the longer trailer and it, you know before the, the film comes on, it was like one of those. Yeah. So there's plenty of time to sort of get roped into it. Yeah, totally. So then Squadrons was yep. the next one that came out. And this one was more for the single player experience, right? Which I was excited about. I don't think I'm going to want to play that game for the multiplayer experience. I liked Battlefront. Uh, actually, I love Battlefront. I know there's a lot of mixed opinions on that. The multiplayer experience is great. Uh, I like the co-ops probably a little bit more than Supremacy. I know that's blasphemy to say that, but I do. Uh, but I love the story of the single player mode. Oh, yeah. It's really good, isn't it? It's great. And you get to play it as all your favorite characters, right? So I was watching this one, and it was talking a lot about you're, you're basically signing up to be with the Rebellion, but you're playing on both sides, if I'm not mistaken. You're playing um, in some points as uh -huh. a uh, pilot on the Empire and then a pilot with the uh, with the Rebellion. And it's after, the I think it's at the same point of Battlefront. It's after Return of the Jedi. Okay. So it's it's kind of cleaning up the messes of the empire. Like they're making a final push, That's which is what cool. you see in battlefront. So I got excited about that. That'll probably be the reason that I want to get it. 
okay. is the single player experience. But what about you? Yeah, I think I think it looks like a lot of fun. Um, I've never played uh, like flight sim- flight simulator games or anything like that, and I don't think it's really going to go all that way. Microsoft Flight Simulator has just come out. I know a lot of people are kind of geeking out about aviation type games these days. I think this is more of like a dogfighting type game yeah. where um, you're chasing the TIE fighter or you're in the TIE fighter chasing the X-Wing or something like that. And that seems like a lot of fun. I agree. It's probably going to have a cool story. I'm not all that excited about the multiplayer mode for one big reason, and that is I know I'm going to stink at it. I know there's going to be people there's going to be people who are really really good at it and it's going to be really frustrating playing against them. Yeah, but we think of Fortnite, we still play that. We still play Fortnite. Um oh, we've gotten first a few times. We've gotten first a few times, yeah. Um cuz we hide the whole time. <laughs> and by the way, um hit us up on on Twitter if you want to play with us sometime at Star Bros Podcast. We we've put this out there a couple of times and um we really enjoy uh connecting with you guys one way or the other and through video games might be a really fun way i think so too we we typically play play every thursday night right now so yep we could do something like that with a few fans that would be fun thursday evenings uh eastern standard time so adjust accordingly yes exactly i think that's pretty good in terms of the news let's just get into the second segment more to the story now right dude yes this is what we've been looking forward to (sighs) the Two of the best episodes of the season, which I'm going to say something kind of crazy right now, but I actually liked episode six a little bit more than episode seven, but it's, it's, it's like, how do I put them in order? You know, they're both so good. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think we need to get into it and kind of share what we took away in this, this next watching and how it got us pumped up for season two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we've broken up the first season into sort of three acts. And if you haven't already, um, we would recommend at some point you go back and listen to Amanda Broly in parts one and two, um, our last two episodes, but by no means do you have to, to enjoy this one. But these last two episodes are, are, are special in that there is a lot of the story that gets resolved from the first season, but there's a lot that's getting set up for the next season. Yeah. I came up with an alternate title to chapter seven, which is called The Reckoning. Yeah. What was your alternate title? My alternate title is Be Like Quill, A Blueprint for a Meaningful Life. <laughs> that was probably too long to fit on the screen. You yeah. Know? It's, it's they not, were going with one word. It's not very punchy. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but my, so, you know, we've, we've watched these and rewatched them a few times. And one of the things that's jumping out at me as we've been preparing for these episodes, because I don't know about you, dude, but I feel like when I sit down to watch an episode, knowing that I'm going to talk about it on the podcast, it's a, a slightly different viewing experience. Oh, totally. It's been different. I, I pick up on details I didn't pick up the time before. Yes. I'm more curious about little de- those little details again. Totally. Um, and by the way, we came to the same conclusion. This is the episode of Quill. Totally. And I think it's done purposely because, uh, okay, well, first of all, spoiler alerts. Right. Oh, yeah, to yeah, put our yep. spoiler alert out yep. there. Obligatory. So spoiler pause alert. now. Go away. All right. Welcome back. Um, Quill dies at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. so they have to make it all about him. Yep. And I don't think they did him any disservices. Like this was just such a. It it, it was gut wrenching when you see it at the very end, his body laying there motionless, and you're like, oh, they it, killed him. It, it was it was gut wrenching. I would posit that he does not completely die. I think he imprints himself upon the IG unit and the things that are really good and honorable about Quill sort of live on through the IG unit. I agree. Yeah. Who then dies too, but yeah, 
<laughs> now we're really into spoilers, right? We're, now we're we're really really into spoilers, which but, I'm disappointed because now who is Taika going to play? I wanted Taika to stay around, but oh well. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm sure that you know he's flexible enough as an actor and as a writer and stuff. He's going to find his way back into the story. Totally will. Um, but yeah, so going back to my my original point, as I rewatch this, and I don't know, I've probably seen this episode seven eight times now. Yeah, and this time around, it really hit me. Um, what an interesting story Quill had. Yeah. And I guess I just kind of passed over it before. And it was the, to me before the interesting things about Quill were that he's an Ugnaught and that he's sort of living out uh, in, in sort of the wilderness and, and he's teaming blurgs and things like that. Um, but besides that kind of seems just sort of like your grumpy neighbor that doesn't, doesn't really give you a whole lot in the first viewing that endears him to you much beyond the fact that, uh, you know, he, he risks and ends up losing his life for the child. But, you know, I, I caught this time around that he, he talks quite a bit about his past Yep. and he talks about it in ways that, you know, we haven't necessarily, I, I did some Googling. I don't think there's any precedent for this in the Star Wars universe, but he talks about how he earned his freedom as mm, yeah. an indentured servant mm-hmm. uh, from the empire. Didn't know that was an option, but indentured servitude is essentially slavery with an end date where you have no freedom whatsoever. Um, you do what they want you to do. And he mentions to Cara Dune at one point the that length of it. He, he earned his freedom over three human lifespans. Yeah. That's no joke. That's a no. long time to be, you know, in the service of the empire, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I caught that bit this time too. The fact that it was three human lives, basically, that he had lived in servitude, which means that he's older than that, first of all. Uh, but second of all, that's just a really long time to be... Uh, slaving away and and I guess perfecting your craft, right? He really, uh, he, I mean, he knows what he's doing when he gets his hands on any droid, as we saw with repairing IG Eleven. Yes. Like he's he's got quite the skill set, but not just that. It really forms his character a bit because now you know he's the wise one of the pack. Completely, right? he's not just the brain, uh, or sorry, the yeah, the brain or the brawn, right? He's he is. Uh, really there to set the group straight right everything he says goes yeah Kara in a couple of instances is very impulsive mm-hmm. right? there's the part we're, we're kind of jumping around in the story now we're not being as chronological but there's the part where well you know they were just about to get gunned down mm-hmm. and you have grief Karga that's revealing to them that the plan was to kill them and to take the child mm-hmm. and give it back to the client but he had a change of heart and she's just mad, mm-hmm. right? And you, then you had Quill come in and say, listen to him, right? And that's what eventually gets Kara to accept the new plan. There is another part where they're getting attacked in the middle of the night, and Grief Karga is now injured, and he says the great line, he's going to uh, eat me or whatever he says. <laughs> uh, what did he say there? He's trying to eat he's me. He's trying to eat me. And, and that, that's just such a great scene because um, I can't think of any other examples of this, but they use the dark so well. Yeah. Because it's just that campfire. That, that That's the light that you're given to sort of figure out what the heck is going on. And there's basically poisonous dragons swooping down on them. Yeah. Pterodactyls. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of spooky and you don't know what's happening. You can barely see that... Uh, Grief Karka was injured. Yeah. By the way, he lost one of his henchmen in that process. They lost a blur. Yep. Uh, it was not a great experience. So the thing that I really picked up there, but, though, but, was... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. That uh, Quill is, again, the reason why 
Grief Karga is alive. Mm-hmm. Remember in episode two, at the very beginning, Mandalorian gets hurt. And uh, the child comes over and tries to heal him. He's what are you doing? He puts him back in. Mm-hmm. Right? There were times where he was trying to do this one thing and help people and heal them and use this power that he has. And he kept being pushed away. If it weren't, he was about to do it again. And Kara said, get this thing out of here. Mm-hmm. And he goes, wait. All he says is wait. Yeah. And then the child gets to perform the miracle of healing uh, Grief Karga, right? Through the force. Yeah. If it weren't for Quill, none of none of these things would happen. He's the patient one. He's yeah. the wise one. He's he's set up as one of the best characters in this whole entire series in this one episode. Yeah, I, I agree. And he, and he's really deep. And I and he commands everybody's attention when he says, "Wait." That nobody says, what, "What are you crazy?" Like, yeah, he's going to try to eat him. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 has everybody's attention. And I think because I I sort of thought of the Maslow's hierarchy. And yeah. he has Quill is the character who has transcended ego and all those other things. And he's like a fully self-actualized person. He's living in alignment with his morals and with his principles. He's offered money to work and he says, I don't work anymore. And I thought it was particularly moving that when he does pass away, that he was on a mission to do something because it aligned with his principles and his morals, it was the right thing to try to save the child. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he passed away because Mando paid him to be a mercenary and a bodyguard for the child. He refused that and he only did it out of an instinct to live up to his own highest standards. Yeah. And the other thing that I really appreciate about him is how he approaches everybody else with that respect. And Clayton Christensen, a writer who you and I like, yeah. um, who's not a Star Wars writer. So if anybody's excited to look him up, he's not a Star Wars writer. Yeah, um, what he passed away this year, didn't he? Did he? Wasn't it this year that he passed uh, away? It might have been at the beginning of this year. Yeah. Ah, 2020, the... I shake my fist at you. <laughs> Another reason there to shake your fist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Clayton Christensen says that, um, you know, people, you can tell that somebody has really high self-esteem and that they're self-actualized because they hold other people in high regard. And so he approaches the Mandalorian and holds him in that high regard. Mm. And he does that with everybody and he gets that back. He gives off that energy. He gives, he gets it back. Um, So I I think he has that wisdom of multiple human lifespans, but I think he's also living as somebody who's fully integrated with their morals, with their principles. And that's why I said that this episode could be, you know, be like Quill, uh, a blueprint for a meaningful life because (laughs) His life had meaning, his death had meaning, and you know when they when they bury him, they're they're, they're genuinely honoring him. Like that's a tender moment, it and is. yeah. So th- this th- I have to remind myself that before this series, the Ugnaughts are just those little squeaky dudes in the Empire Strikes Back, but now like there's Quill, like they, they, that's and you know what the other amazing thing is, I came across this bit of trivia uh, yesterday as I, as I was pre- preparing for the episode. So Nick Nolte, uh-huh. the actor, does the voice, mm-hmm. recorded all of Quill's lines in one afternoon for all of season one. Really? Yes. He's in two episodes and has quite a presence in all of the episodes. Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. He came into the recording studio, left that same day, job done. If it just takes one take for you to get all of that in there that's pretty amazing he crushed it and that's nick nolte he's a 
well-seasoned actor, right? Yep. It kind of shows the wisdom of Nick Nolte a bit. Totally. I, I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen him in too many things. Cause most of the stuff he's done uh, are just movies that I, I typically don't watch. But or, there is or one some movie. Of, some of it just predates us. I, I think, like, yeah. you know, he... he um... I think he was really big in the 70s and 80s, so yeah. you know, it's a different era. But there is one movie that he did a little bit more recently in 2010, I believe, uh, that is one of my all-time favorites. It's The Warrior. Did you ever see that one? No, but you've brought that up to me before, so yeah, i, I got to watch MMA it sometime. One, um, which is maybe one reason. I know you like boxing more, but MMA is still pretty cool. It's the MMA one where it's it's got the brothers, right, and they're kind of a torn apart family mm -hmm. and you're first introduced to Nick Nolte's character and you realize he's got this horrible history of alcoholism and is part of the reason why the family is broken apart. Um, and you just get to watch his suffering through trying to, you know, receive a reckoning mm -hmm. for some of mm -hmm. his actions. And he pulls that character off so well. His acting, it is phenomenal. So when I knew it was Nick Nolte behind this Ugnaught, I knew we were in for a good treat. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't last longer than this season, but. I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe, maybe there are flashbacks. Yeah. You know, they could, they could always do that. Um, but yeah, e even if that's all we get of this character, I mean, it's, it, it's, he nailed it. Yeah. Really and, well and done. More importantly, it's going to shape the Mandalorian from here on out. Yeah. Right. So that that's a great point. Um. So like I said uh, a moment ago, I think the m main impression maybe that he has for the remainder of this first season is that, you know, he helps to reprogram and, and sort of reteach the IG unit who to be. But I think he leaves a big impression on Mando. And I mm -hmm. think he sort of shapes his worldview in, in a positive way. Yeah. And um, I think especially with the droids, like... Uh, he has that great line that's something like, you know, droids are neither good nor bad. They are just an imprint of whoever it is that programs them for yeah. whatever their base function is or whatever IG says. You know, they're 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 value neutral and it's just what you do with them. And I think that sort of um, softens Mando up to the idea that, you know, they're not all bad. They're not all out to get you. And whenever you have sort of like a perspective shifting conversation like that, then that's something I think you permanently take with you. And I think maybe Mando can see the world around him a little bit differently as a result of that conversation as, and as a result of this killing machine, IG becoming a nurse droid. Well, and also it helps him Mandalorian to overcome his hatred of the droids by the end of it. His personal hangup. Yeah. He actually is sad when IG 11 is about to sacrifice. And, and IG calls him out on it. Yes. And he does. He just <laughs> like, I can sense that you're sad in your voice. Right. And it's a very touching moment because yeah. you know, now that it started to cure him of this hatred, which was founded on something that is, is well-founded, but he now knows that droids are just an imprint of uh, the people that are carrying out their duties. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not independent. They don't necessarily think for themselves. They are controlled. They right? are appliances that are really fancy. Right, exactly. <laughs> and in this case, uh, Quill has now shown him what is possible when you kind of take these biases lens off, when you start yeah. looking at the world a little bit differently. So if it weren't for Quill, he would still hate droids. He yep. wouldn't have opened his mind up to a ton of different possibilities and, and ideas. I, I think he's one of the most important pieces to season one and what makes it so great. Yeah. So I'm so glad we got him. Yeah, me too. Um, and he's kind of the Clayton Christensen of Star Wars. Right. 
You're right. Right? Because Clayton Christensen wrote a book basically about how to live your life. <laughs> yes. Right? And, and, and I, w- I would read Quill's version of it, and they'd probably have some overlap. Probably. Right? Um, so I just had to put that out there. Um, <laughs> I know we, we're kind of far away from doing chronological through this episode, but uh, I do want to go back a little bit and, and yeah. kind of talk about uh, Grief Karga a little bit. Because the episode starts with his hologram popping up. Yep. And saying, if you're getting this message, that means you're alive. You'll be surprised that I'm alive too. And he mm-hmm. goes into this whole monologue and basically t- like tells him, we know you're on the run. We know you're not living a life that you want to live. And this is stressful for you. And you want to be over this just as much as we want to be over this. And, and it's spot on. Yeah. And he puts this plan out there, which you don't trust. Do you trust this plan that, that he puts out there? Do you trust that he's going to really fulfill his promise that he makes of you will kill the client and we'll I'll get what I want out of this, which is the Imperial assault that's happened. It'll be over, and we can go back to doing guild duties and, and be done with it, right? It sounds great. Yeah, and, and I, I think like Mando, I think maybe Mando sees that there's an opportunity there, mm-hmm. and there's a couple of puzzle pieces to put together to figure out what to make the most of this opportunity. But, I, you know, Mando doesn't buy it. The yeah. audience doesn't fully buy it. We all know that it's it's a trap, but maybe it's a trap that he can exploit. It's a what? A trap. It's a it's a trap. A trap. <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> it is a trap. It is. And I think at one point they say it's a trap, and I just I love it every time because <laughs> little things they throw in there. It's like yep. Star Wars fans will get this yep. Easter egg here. So that I think was interesting. He also says one thing, which I think is what gets Mandalorian to go. He says, "For a man of honor should not be forced to live in exile." Ooh, yeah, right. He calls out, remember at the very end of episode six, you had uh, the Twi'lek? Yep. I can't remember his name, sorry, right now. But uh, he says, aren't you a man of honor? And kind of tempts him with that. Mm-hmm. And he is a man of honor. And that's really important to him to live an honorable life. Mm-hmm. And Aquila's has kind of taught him how to do that. So I think that's what speaks to him. Yeah. Um, that's probably why he took the job. Then he goes and gets Kara and says, hey, you can kill an Imperial. And that's all it takes for her to be in, uh, to kill an imp, right? Yep. And then they go and get Quill right after that. So they kind of amass the team and set off. And then they get to a scene, which is probably one of your favorites, right? Actually, no, I don't think Quill was there yet. The the part with with the child. Do you want to talk about it? Um, in a moment. I just want to respond to that really okay. quickly. And I, and I, I think that um, Grief Karga and uh, the Twi'lek are both sort of playing Mando yeah. and, and using his honor against him. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and, and I think that that's a sign of... A little bit of ego on Mando's part, because it's not so much the living with honor, because he's got that down. He mm-hmm. does that. He is he's evolving to live up to his own highest standards in a big way, even if it means going against the clan, even if it means going against the um the guild. But this when somebody challenges his honor, then he feels like he has to uh, rise to their expectations in some way. That's a good point. And, and, and that is, uh, a personality flaw in some ways. Um, if, if you allow your honor to be defined externally by a challenge to it. Yeah. So it's a bit I, of a weakness, it's a little bit of a weakness. It's not something that Quill would fall for necessarily. Right. So yeah, that, that, that it's just sort of like jumped out at me when somebody's like, you, you know, trying to make you prove your manhood and you feel yes. like you need to actually prove it. The weakness is on you to feel like Oh yeah, uh, he told me to prove my manhood, so I have to now. Yep. I won't let anybody tell me I'm not a man, right? right? And he doesn't want anybody telling him he's not a man of honor, so he's got to prove it. Right. You don't have to prove it to anybody. Right. Right. And that's probably the lesson that he needs to eventually learn. 
And, and, but, and, I, and I think he will. And I think he's had a really good example from Quill yeah. um, where uh, Quill is really internally motivated. There are not as many external factors that define his behavior. He really sort of bounces it off of his own internal North Star, whereas Mando still has a lot of external stuff that sort of defines what he is, what he does, and so on. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I just actually realized we missed to say something about Quill, which is the tragedy of Quill, too. All he wanted was a peaceful life. He had See, earned a peaceful life. Yeah, and, and he wanted to bring peace to the valley. And I think there's there's a school of thought that says, sort yourself out first. And then once you've done that, try to solve problems in the world around you. Hmm. And uh, I think implied in that is, uh, you know, somebody who hasn't sorted themselves out yet is probably not in any position to tell other people what to do. You know, the glass house thing and so on. Quill's one of those people. He's got himself sorted out. If he wants to bring his sort of order and his his uh, principles and his morals to the world around him to organize it in a way that serves uh, a, a good cause, peace, then yeah, go for it, which is very different. I, I think there is a parallel kind of scene to that in this chapter with the client where the client says at one point, I, I got it written down here, uh, he, he, he calls out everybody and the rebellion specifically and says, oh, yeah. is, is the world more peaceful? Yeah. And what did you think of that line? He's got a point. Yeah, I mean, that's what it, I thought. <laughs> he's got a point, but that's a, that's a philosophical question, right? Like, it objectively, it's not more peaceful. No, but is it better to live in a world on your own terms and not under the thumb of the empire and have it be a little bit chaotic or have pure order 24-7, but you being under the thumb of the empire? Yeah, he, he basically, if I remember some of the pieces that the client said, isn't it better with the Empire? Didn't it improve everybody's life? Opportunity, trade, prosperity, peace. Mm-hmm. He uses words that you're like, yeah, I want all of that. Yeah. And you're telling me the Empire gave it to you. And you're also saying the rebellion, look what it caused. It caused death and chaos when he looked around. And then he just stops right there and goes, show me the child. <laughs> I want to see the child. <laughs> yep. Like he had his little moment. And he's moved on from it. Yep. But I, I, I listened to that so intently this time. Like, oh my gosh, this is the difficulty of living in this universe. As you see the rebellion fighting against the oppression of the empire. Right. Which, call it what it is. You may call it uh, improving peaceful prosperity. Right. But for who? Yeah. Right. At the end of the day. It is still. It's still peace by force. Prosperity exactly. by force. It's it's, it's still an exchange. Not really peace, but the rebellion is, yeah, it is creating a lot of chaos because the true order has been turned up on its head. But we wouldn't have that if it weren't for mm-hmm. some manipulative maniac right. who decided to turn it into the Empire to begin with. Right. We didn't start it. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, <laughs> Joe Palpatine. Joey Palps. He did it. <laughs> <laughs> Joke back to the episode one. Please go listen to that if you're <laughs> brand new to the episode. All right. Um, but... We're kind of, again, jumping around a, a little bit, but I think that is a, uh, it's a great end to this episode, personally, to have him go through this monologue a bit. Um, I'm glad we got it. So yeah, let's jump back to any other points that you want to jump back to in the episode, since we kind of got all over before we go to the next one. 
No, I, I, I just think that it is really sort of Quill's time to shine. Um, yeah. and it, you feel the pain of losing him, but he has a really big effect on the remaining characters. And I think that carries through really nicely into, uh, chapter eight. Yeah, I totally agree. One of my favorite parts of the episode was baby Yoda trying to fly, uh, the razor crest. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I love that they showed him poking his head down, yep. taking a little gander. Nope, no one's paying attention to what I'm doing. Okay, I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's the, um, you, you've pointed out there's been a couple of moments where, you know, half the time he seems like a real baby, yeah. sort of in, in, in his little egg-shaped flying baby carriage or the pram, as the client calls it. Yeah. But there are other times where he's totally with it and enough so that he can cause trouble. Yeah. And that that's a really good moment for him causing a little bit of trouble. Yeah, totally agree. It was, it's one of the best ones. And then... My next favorite one is our segue into chapter eight, mm-hmm. which is he gets the call. Uh, the client gets the call from Moff Gideon, mm-hmm. he gets up to get it and stands there. Moff Gideon's already one step ahead of him, you mm-hmm. know, and in this at this point, you're thinking the client is the villain here, right? He's not a puppet at all. He's running the show. You can just tell that he's got the demeanor of someone who's running the show. And then you realize in that moment he is not running the show. Yeah, he's he's middle management right. at best. And you first thing you think is there's another moth out there. Yeah. Right? There's a the the imperial uh it's remains and this guy is a big part of it. Mhm. Um and you get to see him just go to town like he just takes out the client. He takes out all the everyone that he can in there. Stormtroopers, of course, not our favorite main characters. Yep. He's relentless. Yeah. The first time you meet this guy, he's willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And cut any loose end. Right. Yeah. Um, and I love then right after that, they reintroduce Death Troopers. Yep. Those were my favorite parts of Rogue One, and I was so happy to see them back. Yeah. I know a lot of people are really pumped to see that. And um, that that's also a, a pivotal scene in the story, but also a pivotal scene for the fandom because it includes members of the 501st. Right. And, right. And, and if you've watched the, the, the gallery on Disney plus, then uh, you'll know, but I'll recap for you that the 501st is a, I guess you can call it a cosplaying organization where people who are willing to invest the time and the effort end up creating their own cinematically accurate costumes and wardrobe. So some of them are stormtroopers. Some of them are imperial officers. They do really cool stuff. They they go to children's hospitals and pose for pictures and entertain kids and stuff like that. But they're also part of the Star Wars universe in the sense that they get invited to movie premieres. So when there's a premiere in Los Angeles, they don't necessarily, you know, pay the studio to make a hundred stormtrooper costumes. They they call the local five hundred and first, and they know that they're going to show up with perfect costumes. And that's yeah. what they did here. And these guys did not know that they were going to be on the set of the Mandalorian, what the story was, who the characters were. They were just thrown into it. They just got a call. They They were told to report. Yep. Right. And And they did. And then they were kind of shocked at what they were actually getting involved in. Yep. And then it was like, okay, how do I place myself so I can actually be on camera? Yes. (laughs) But I looked at that again this time as I watched it. Okay. And I was so shocked at how good they looked. Yeah. how, How well done. By the way, another thing I noticed, remember how we were commenting that, in episodes three, well, I guess in the first one, that all of the Stormtrooper costumes had seen better days. Yes. They look pristine in this the, Like one. when the Death Troopers show up, like mm-hmm. the, the just sparkling clean, not a fingerprint on them. Right. Which tells you something. Yeah. Interesting. There are factions still within the Imperials' remains. Yeah. Right. 
and there's the group that is probably not taken care of very well and has to kind of make it by. And then there's the group that is protecting Moff Gideon mm-hmm. and in his faction, if you will. Yep. And they got the treatments. That's a highfalutin gig. Yeah. It looks like it pays well. <laughs> so, but it was a little thing that I noticed this time that I went, oh, yeah, they got the 501st yeah. to, to show that, right? But it was a, a very different tale than what the client, what you saw when you originally saw the client and his stormtroopers, yeah. right? So I haven't made much with that yet. I just noticed it. Okay. And trying to figure out what that meant. And the only thing I can think of is maybe there's kind of the, the part of the empire that's treated well and the part of it that has to kind of fend for itself and and yeah. carry out their duties without great costumes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or great and, armor, I should say. And and the client, I guess, was sort of in, in this outpost, whereas these guys, I don't know if they're still at some central base or something, but yeah, the one last thing I'll say about the 501st, um, the reason that they, they look so good and um, look so accurate and, and all look so uniform, like they look identical, is because, uh, and this is a good thing, I think, their standards are insanely high. If you can actually build your own Stormtrooper costume and have it approved by the 501st, that, that's an accomplishment. It's <laughs> not something that anybody can throw together in a weekend. Um, Too so, bad. So they, they keep their standards insanely high, and as a result, um, they get the call to be on the Mandalorian. The, the, they deserve it if they're honestly that totally. good. Uh, if they kept that bar that high. We missed two things that I just, I just realized. One of them is... I do love when they show the scenes of IG-11 being retrained. Yeah. And he's breaking stuff and dropping, dropping the box. Yeah. <laughs> on poor little creatures. Yep. Right. Uh, I forgot to mention how much I love that one. But then there was another really key moment that happened in this episode. And that is when the child mm-hmm. starts to force choke mm-hmm. Kara. Right, right, right. When the they're arm press. wrestling and right. he, he's not, um, I guess, emotionally or intellectually sophisticated enough to realize that's not really a threat. They're playing a game. Right. And so he reacts with force and it's scary. But it's not just that that I noticed. It was the fact that he used the force to force to force choke. Yep. Right. And I thought, why would why would he do that? Mm-hmm. Right. He knows how to do that. What eventually taught him that? Yeah. Or right. Like it's probably not just instinct. I don't know. Well, here's what I thought. When you, I mean, I have five-year-olds, so I kind of know this. And when you start to get to the point where you you understand the power of your body, mm-hmm. but you also don't understand how to rein it in, yeah, you throw temper tantrums, you kick walls, you break things all the time. Like you, you just don't know your own power mm-hmm. sometimes, and don't know that you're causing harm even. And I think that's the same thing with him. He's a child. Yeah. He knows he has the force, but he doesn't understand the difference between light and dark yet mm-hmm. and doesn't understand when it's appropriate to use it and when it's not. Yep. Right. Or even how, right. We saw Anakin using the force choke ability all the time uh, in Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Right. So we know that he was capable of doing that even when he was on the light side. That's kind of what showed you that there were seeds of darkness in him. But Seeing Anakin do that shows that he's kind of being a bit childish in doing that, right? He mm-hmm. hasn't really learned how to discern between the good side and the bad side as well. And I think that's kind of what the child is going to go through. Yeah. Yeah. So just something I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Um, so coming back to chapter eight, the redemption, uh, yes. th- there's a couple of things early on that I-, I know that you particularly enjoy. So the, on the, the troopers on the speeder bikes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so as, as a reminder, they scoop up, uh, baby Yoda after they kill Quill and they race away and um, then they have to pause at the edge of town and sort of wait for the signal to be able to come back in and they're getting updates that 
uh, Moff Gideon's basically just killing everybody, kill somebody for interrupting him. Um, it, it is just sort of uh, showing his temper, I guess, or showing showing his impatience. And they decide to pass the time by doing what? <laughs> Target practice on on a piece of trash on the ground. Yep, and <laughs> they can't hit it for the life of them. And in fact, at one point, one of the one of them sort of shakes the pistol and looks at it <laughs> like it's just some crappy old thing they found in their garage. And but, then he just gives up. He's like, no. Well, yeah, and they just holster and they give up. Um, Jason Sudeikis, I think, is yeah. one of them that's playing that. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, that's a really good cameo. Such a good one. I, I literally interpret this, this scene as Taika Waititi's bargaining chip. He says, <laughs> if you want me to do wrecked, an episode of this series, yeah. you have to let me take some liberties at the beginning and not ask any questions. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we got out of it. That, that so silliness. Glad. Yeah. It, it, because Taika is a uh, more comedic director, right? Yeah. He likes to interject that into his episode or into his content. Um, and he doesn't really get that much of a chance to do that in this episode because of how serious it is and the, the nature of the, the situation that they're in. Right. Yeah. Uh, but at the beginning here, he gets to show you his comedic prowess. Yeah. And he takes something that, you know, Star Wars fans love to talk about, which is the inability of biker troopers or stormtroopers to shoot. Mm-hmm. What is, what's the part I'm looking for? <laughs> they're, they're blaster. They're blasters. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and they, they get this, you get this great exchange between them that I, I love too. It's just like wanting to see the baby so bad that he's That's like right. coming up with new ways to say like, can I see it? Can I see it? Can it I hasn't see moved it? in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You've heard, you hit it pretty hard. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I, I just, I love it. And then the whole like making fun of Moff Gideon a little bit. He's like, uh, he just, there was an officer that does a, somebody interrupted him, or interrupted whatever. him, interrupted him. And so he killed him. So this is going to take a while. Yep. <laughs> right. And that's, Basically, what you see in all of Empire is like someone Darth Vader gets mad. Oh, he's dead. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so it's a it's one of my favorite moments. I die laughing every time I watch it because it it's just so funny. It's it's, it's so yeah, funny. that's a really good one. And then you get um, the IG unit, which is now for, fully in like the integrated nurse droid, but also still a killing machine mode. Yeah. <laughs> and um, realizes that the child is in danger. And now his base protocol or function or whatever is to protect him. Well, I think it just tells us don't piss off your nurse. Yeah. Ever. Right. Because right? <laughs> they will protect. Yep. Um, and then and then what we start to get here is, I think, some of the best action in the first season. I agree. And totally. it's, it starts with uh, IG, the nurse droid, uh, riding into town with, like, his baby Bjorn with, like, the, the baby strapped to his chest uh, and just blasting everybody. And not missing once, you know, he's just oh. flying through and just taking people out until he gets into sort of like this town square. So as a reminder, our, 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 our heroes are sort of hunkered down in this building, which is like a like a cantina type space. Yeah. And Moff Gideon and the Death Troopers and some of the bad guys are all posted up outside and they've already taken out uh, the client and some of the guys that the client had with him. And when the nurse droid rolls up, and uh, I think uh, causes a ton of havoc. It really triggers some big time action. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's so well choreographed too. It goes on for a little bit. My favorite is that moment where the Mandalorian opens up the door, comes out, grabs the blaster of the stormtrooper right there, mm-hmm. puts it down, and then just like takes one shot at him, and then he just starts kicking his way out. Like yeah. just the way it starts yeah. shows you that he's good at what he does. Yep. Right. And 
and and is just so well choreographed. Like it gets me excited every single time. Yep. So and then when he just goes and picks up the the e web yep. right and just starts going to town, it's great. One of the best parts though is when Moff Gideon comes back in mm-hmm. and he just strolls in. And he looks at the Mandalorian for a good five seconds. Yeah, and, and and if you don't mind me interrupting, so we last saw him, he gives this ultimatum. Yep. He's just kind of cold and clinical about it. He says, you can't trust me, but you can trust that I'm going to act in my best interest. Yeah. You have until nightfall. So we, we've sort of seen how cold, like chillingly cold and calculated he is. Well, he's smart. He's smart, yes. And not just that, he also reveals a lot more information about the characters that you've come to know. Yep. But there, it's information you don't even know about we, we didn't know until then. I know you, I know where you're from, I know mm-hmm. your story, I know you, I know where you're from in your story. And, and yep. it's just like, how does this guy know all how this? Does, how does he know that all these people are involved? And he says a few things. So first of all, Kara, the shock trooper, like he knows who she is. And there was a part in episode six we didn't talk about, which was... Uh, where she talks about how the things that she's done since she's left Mm -hmm. the force, that a lot of them carry life sentences. She's nervous. Yeah. Right. She even talks about it. And like, they will, they will do more than just kill me. They will destroy me. They will make me suffer. And Mm -hmm. she's now very nervous because of the fact that he knows who she is. Yeah. Um, And then grief, uh, Karga, Mm -hmm. a, what was the disgraced magistrate? Yeah. Disgraced magistrate. And now I'm going, what did he do? What is his story? What right. is it? Yeah. He's not just the leader of the guild. It's almost like this was forced on him. Like he chose to do this because he had no alternative. Right. He had to. Yeah. Maybe out of desperation or something. Yeah. He had a whole nother career before this. What did he do to disgrace him? Right. I now want to know more about that. And then you get a little bit more about the Mandalorian. First of all, you get his name. Yep. Which is Din Djarin, right? Yep. Uh, with a silent D at the beginning of that. I didn't realize that at it's first. Cool. Um, and then you you just learn, oh, you learn about the Purge? The Purge, and then the, the Night of a Thousand Tears. Yes. Um, and then you get you get the really sad flashback to um, him him uh, losing his parents, but then being rescued by a Mandalorian with a really cool jetpack. It looks just like Boba Fett, basically. Looks like Boba Fett, <laughs> yep. Right, coming in to save the day, but it, we know it's not. Uh, yeah. And you get that you get the full story of what you got glimpse of glimpse of in the last few episodes. Yeah, and it it's painful. To painful. Watch. It's re- it's really sad. Yeah, like to see the door shut, the explosion, and you come to the realization that the parents are gone. Yeah, right. Uh, it's it's just gut wrenching. Yep. And then and then in the the whole rescue scene, as he's sort of hanging on to the Mandalorian, who's jetpacking him out of there, you see him looking over his shoulder at the town below, being torn apart yeah. by whatever this battle is. Yeah. It's it is uh, something that I hope we well, get well, to know a little bit more about. We will. I think we will. Um, but yeah, take me back to so now the Mandalorian's outside. He's got the e web. He's sort of sawing everybody down, mm-hmm. and here comes the moth. He's standing there looking at him for a good five seconds. Takes one shot at him, right? Gets his attention. Mm-hmm. He turns the e web on him, and he doesn't even flinch. Mm-hmm. Right? Moff Gideon doesn't even flinch. He doesn't even think about this for more than a second. He points it at him. He's like, "I can't, I can't kill him right now. He's gonna kill me. What do I got? Oh, I'll just point it right there at the." Uh, the e web the attached the basically where the ammunition for the e web is coming from. Yep. Right. I don't know what it's called. Uh, point said that explodes it and and he wins the day. Yep. He's calculated. He's cold. Mm-hmm. And he's he's smart. He knows yep. how to defend himself and his 
his goals, just like he said, he said, like he will act in his own self-interest. Yeah. Right? And, and and this is the moment where you start to worry about, Hey, this is the last episode of the first season. Yeah. Um, who are we going to lose here? Yeah, you do. And in for a minute there, you're thinking, is it the Mandalorian? That's not possible. Right. 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 Uh, but I mean, all of that was done to set up what we get next, which is we get IG 11 getting the chance to, you know, show him what droids can do mm-hmm. when they're, you know, turned into a nurse droid. Yeah. Uh, but then you also get Pablo, uh, his little bit of screen time, basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we it, finally his, get to see his face. His one time in eight episodes where you see the guy's face. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was really sort of watching this episode closely in a different way, like we were talking about. Yeah. Um, I love this episode. It really stands out to me as being something special in this first season. And I've seen it probably seven or eight times. Like I have the prior chapters, but you know, I've never watched it uh, through the eyes of a podcaster before. So I was looking at yeah. it a little bit differently. Um, and I was really reflecting on this sort of descent that they have into the underworld. And I think that there are a lot of parallels to, uh, classic stories here. So there, there's there's a moment where uh, the Mandalorian says, hey, there, we have a, we have a covert uh, under the city. We just need to find an entrance point to the tunnels. It could be an out for us. And so he scans the room and he sees that there is an entrance point, but they can't get it open. There's this huge, heavy grate that's blocking it. But IG-11 says, yeah, I, I can do that for you. He just has to saw his way through. And through... Through the ages, there are lots of examples of stories where heroes enter the underworld, but they're guided by what is not a living thing. So in, um, in the Odyssey, uh, Odysseus goes into the underworld to seek counsel from a poet and ends up running into his mother. And I think there are some parallels here to... Hmm. Uh, Mando running into the armorer yeah, and taking advice from the armorer. So interesting. And, and um, another thing that I think sort of blends those together is that when Odysseus is in the underworld looking for this poet to get advice from the poet, he also runs into Achilles, who everybody knows as this, this great warrior. And he flatters him and says, you know, they, they still sort of sing your praises in the living world. And Achilles says, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather, if I had my choice, I'd, I'd be, you know, a farmer working for somebody else than, you know, a dead king. And that's when Odysseus realizes, wow, I have this extraordinary gift of life and I need to go back and use that and, and live up to the gift that's been given to me. Hmm. Um, similarly, uh, I, I think it's, it's really interesting that... Um, and we'll get to it in a minute, but, you know, they have to uh, cross this sort of lava river, yeah. which is really similar to the cultural myth that we've had for a long time of sort of um, traveling from the world of the living to the world of the dead. Um, in, in this, they sort of use it the other way, where it's sort of like they're they're in the a world that is now sort of dead. The Mandalorians have abandoned it. You see their armor piled up mm-hmm. and they're trying to get out into the world of the living. But um Again, you know, there's lots of examples of having a guide who is not of the living world, and on the river Styx, yeah, uh, the there's a ferryman who is part deity, but he's not a, a living human being, and and here we have this crazy tall R two unit with these <laughs> long arms and long legs, um, but yeah, I, I, just, I just thought that that was really interesting that there's these parallels about descending wow. into the underworld to learn something, and to come back 
and live in a different way. The other good example is... Favreau's uh, going to give you a call and be like, how'd you find my secret? <laughs> how'd you know I was just copying, copying Homer's Odyssey? Right there? <laughs> the, the, other, the other really good example is uh, Dante's Inferno, yeah, where Dante literally descends into a hell that is you know completely fictionalized for the story right. of, for a poem um but uh you know that he's led by a poet into hell and um another thing that is a parallel in those stories is that uh especially in in the greek world in the greek classics if you didn't die honorably and if you don't uh have the right sort of ritual burial you you don't get to go to um you know, the, the underworld version of paradise. Mm. And I think it's interesting that, uh, the visual that you get in Greek classics is typically the, um, the people who didn't live honorably on the shore waiting for the ferryman and they don't get to go. And I think it's interesting that right at the gate to the covert, the underworld are the bodies of the client and the people who serve the client and they don't get to go any further than that. They're sort of stuck in this limbo forever. Wow. Yeah. That is all so interesting, actually. I want to like just hear all about this. Little, I'm just, like, I haven't talked for like a, a few minutes because I'm like, what? like, just tell me more. I bet our listeners are doing that right now. <laughs> That's Dude, whenever, whenever the um on Jeopardy, there's a Greek classics category. I run that category. Do you? Everything else terrible, <laughs> but for some reason that just always stuck in my head from school. So that's amazing though, but it's more amazing too, that you can take parallels from other stories and see the lessons that they're trying to teach mm-hmm. at this moment. Right. Yeah. And, and I had never thought of any of that in the same way. Right. I, I looked at that just as a, an escape route. Yeah. That's, that's a, just such a, a fun way to look at it now. Yeah. And, and I just think it's really interesting that the descent into the underworld is not necessarily a bad thing. It, 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 it's kind of scary climbing down into this great, into the covert and who knows what's going to, the stormtroopers going to follow you or whatever. But, yeah. um, it's an, it, it represents hope. It represents an opportunity for them to survive. It represents an opportunity for Mando to stop off at the armorer and, and take some critical bit of information or, you know, have one last check-in before this whole sort of city collapses. And, and get his is, jet pack. What's that? And get his jet pack. And get his jet pack. He needed that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, 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 so that's a good point. So he goes into the underworld. He, he interacts with the armorer and he leaves a, uh, a different type of warrior than he came in. Right. Well, first of all, he has uh, the mud horn, right? Yeah, he gets that's a that's a critical critical scene. Right. It's, there's a lot to that one. Here's another thing that I noticed a lot. There was very little music playing in that whole underworld piece. The rest of the episode, there's a ton of music. Right. That part, there's huh. nothing. It's silent. Well, I didn't. I didn't really, pick up on that. Yeah, they're, they're almost not telling you how to feel. Basically, they're mm. they're trying to let you put this together for yourself and seeing what you'll make of it. And I think it's adding a little bit of suspense because sometimes the choice of no music is just as important as making the choice of what type of music to put in there. Yeah. Right. Because it builds silence, builds something. Yeah. When there's not something that's kind of telling you what to think and feel in this situation, you have to make that decision yourself. That's a great point. And so what I think it does is it makes it a little bit scarier right? You don't know when a stormtrooper is going to pop around the corner. You don't know mm. where danger is, right? You're just kind of waiting for it. Yeah, basically. that's true. It, it it kind of tunes your senses to anticipate and it puts you on edge. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's very different. It So really like that. 
And I think the, the whole armorer scene, like where the armor just goes to town of little stormtroopers is amazing too. Yeah, yeah. With, with her hammers, with her tools, basically. Yeah. She uses the tools of her trade yeah. to take them all out. Yeah. And I, I always looked at back, back at that and go, why did they do that? Why did they feel like they needed to show that she had this capability? Uh, was it just to show you a really cool scene or was there a purpose behind it? I think the purpose is to show she's not just molding all of the armor and trying to rebuild the the tribe and you know remaining this covert she is just she is a she's legit a yeah a legit warrior yeah as part of uh this this creed of mandalorians mm-hmm. as anyone else in it yep right she can hold her own amongst five other stormtroopers or however many were there yeah it's pretty great so yeah. um i love that but let's let's skip forward now to where we're getting to the end of the episode now, IG-11 then sacrifices himself. Yeah, they, they get on this boat. They're um, sort of uh, plodding along. They're not moving all that quickly through this lava, um, which is just really cool visually. And you can sort of hear it sort of like boiling in the background. Like it's, it's a really cool setting for this pivotal scene. Um, but Mando's able to use his, his kind of like x-ray vision, I guess, and scan ahead and see that the, the mouth of the tunnel is completely surrounded. And, and there's no way that they're going to be able to get out and fight everybody and survive. IG calculates and realizes that that's correct. And the only thing he can do is um, go back to his base programming that says, you can't be captured. Your manufacturer says that you cannot be captured, but right. you well, can self-destruct. And But his other base programming now is to protect the child. Yep. So the only way that it really computes from is and they have to kind of go back and forth about it for a while is you have to tell me that the child's going to be safe yeah. and that you will keep the child safe. Yeah. All of that is about telling him I can no longer take care of the child. Mm-hmm. Only you can Mando. Mm-hmm. This is your responsibility. He is your foundling. That was the other reason for going to the armorer to establish that this is a foundling. Yeah. That the child is, it's not a Jedi as much as it is a, a member of their creed. Right. So, so is, so I was wondering about this. So is, is he a Mandalorian now? That's exactly what I was going to do. So what is he now? Right. Is he a Jedi? Is he a Mandalorian? Or, cause there's conflict that's always existed back in the days of the um, old Republic, right? A uh, conflict between the Jedi and the Mandalorian. Is this the solution, right? They, they allude to some of that. Like yeah. this is an, this, um, the Jedi may be enemies, but mm-hmm. this one is not, mm-hmm. right? It is an opportunity, I think, that maybe the armorer sees that he, the child, can help to bridge the Mandalorian creed, and uh, who are some of the greatest warriors in the galaxy, and the Jedi, who are also some of the greatest warriors yep. in the galaxy, but they're more peacekeepers, yeah. right? There's an opportunity here. Yeah. To put these two together. That's true. And maybe yeah. that's what is foreshadowing is like the, the way to peace is by having them. Having this clan of two. These, this clan of two. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of what I thought it was putting together. And maybe we'll see that play out. Maybe they'll eventually show like the two of them coming together. Maybe that's the reason Ahsoka's coming in. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I, I think it, it it's really important that at the end of this, you know that he is a foundling mm-hmm. and it's the Mandalorian's duty to either reunite him with his clan or to train him to be a Mandalorian. Yeah. Right. Which I don't know. Does that mean he's going to put a helmet on and we'll never see his face again? I don't know. I hope not. (laughs) Hope not either, but we'll find out. Yeah, we will. Um, But yeah, IG-11 sacrifices himself for the sake of the Mm -hmm. child and everyone. It's a very well done, touching scene. Uh, Yeah. And and, and by the way, to, to take it back to Greek classics real quick. 
So in, in the underworld, when, when you pass away, you go to um, a different place in the underworld depending on how you lived and how you died. Yeah. And um, there are places that are sort of neutral. You know, like in the good place, there's the medium place or whatever it was called. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> and there's a, there's a place called the uh, Elysium or the Elysian Fields. And that's where you go if you die a truly heroic death for a noble cause. And um, obviously, IG-11 points out multiple times that he's not a living thing. And, um, you know, he's, he's not going to have some transcendent soul or whatever. But I, I, I came across this. Um, one of my professors told me this years ago. So Elysium, where the heroes go, where they die. You know, in Paris, the Champs-Élysées? Yep. That's what that is. Huh. It's the Elysian Fields. That's, yeah. Champs is the word for field. Yeah, that makes yep. sense. Okay. So that is that. That is the street where the all-time greatest heroic warriors in human existence go when they die. Paris. They, they go to, yeah, they sit at a cafe. <laughs> a cafe in Paris. Uh, it's funny because when you said Elysian Fields, it's like, that sounds familiar. Something French. So yeah. thank you for that parallel. So um, to, uh, you know, the 1% of our podcast listeners who are based in France, um, that reference was for you. That's for you. <laughs> <laughs> we were thinking of you. Proof. Um, Pandering. That, that's. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from that. Yeah, well, we, let's, let's we go back to, to the episode. So IG, IG blows himself up. Yeah, I was going to say, we need to do something for our Brazilian listeners next time or, or something. We'll, do, we'll open the episode with some jujitsu. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> no. So uh, then you're kind of left with one more issue at hand. Moff Gideon. Right? Yep. He is still around. He's back in his TIE fighter. And... He's out for revenge. He's going to to get it, right? Um, and I love it that it's basically creating the standoff between the Mandalorian and Moff Gideon, mm-hmm. right? The Season two is going to be based around what we just saw there. Yeah. This conflict between the two of them. Mm-hmm. He has to protect the child, and Moff Gideon will stop at nothing to get the child. Yep. Right? So this was just a great scene so that you could see him flying. You could see him conquer him in this moment, mm-hmm. win the day, and, you know, put things together with uh, Kara and Grief Karga, patch things up, set things up really nicely, like life goes on. Yeah, right? you have that really adorable moment where Baby Yoda sort of clings to his pant leg and looks up at him and smiles. Yep. And just, it feels like all is right with the world. Everything is fine. And then you cut back and the Jawas are ransacking the TIE fighter already. Like yep. they did the Razor Crescent episode too. You're just like, it's nope. literally still Jawas steaming from the crash and they're picking it, it apart. It really is. I That was the thought I had. I was like, how quickly did they get there? Were they just hanging out out there and realized, I think it's... Uh, this is a good time to stand right here and wait for something to crash. Yep. I don't know, but they were ready for it. Yep. <laughs> um, and then you get the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Moff Gideon survives mm-hmm. and he cuts his way out with the dark saber. Mm-hmm. Great note to end on. And in fact, you know, we'll, we'll segue in a moment now to, uh, to part three of our, podcast episode which is always the star wars fandom Mm -hmm. um, and get to some of the questions that our fans had asked uh the biggest question is that where did he get that dark saber literally every single person i asked like what questions do you have going into season two that was the number one question wow yeah where did he get the dark saber yeah i don't know i mean we know that he went to mandalore we know that that's where he discovered dejarn um uh, right Mm -hmm. and we have to learn a little bit more about how he got there, but chances are that's where we got it from. Ch- chances are, um, the, one of the things that uh, I think is you know kind of really gnawing at me is what are his intentions? He says at one point, um, "You may think you know what you have, but you do not." 
And it's it like, means what is, more to me than you will ever know. Right. What does that mean? Why? What's yeah. it about? What's so, what, what, like, obviously he's adorable, but what, what, do you, <laughs> what do you want with him? I, my guess is, all right, we are officially in segment three now. Are Star we? Wars okay. fandom. Yeah. Okay. Cause we are speculating and we are using our questions and fans questions to help with that speculation. I think that he wants him because he knows that he cannot rebuild the empire unless he has a force wielder. That's my guess. Like he needs someone with the force and he wants to recreate his army because there was uh, some eagle eye viewers that noticed that, uh, I just forgot his name, but in episode three, the, the, um, the guy that comes in to take baby Yoda and do some tests on him and everything. Oh, right? like the, um, the, like the nerdy scientist guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently there was a patch on his arm that was from Camino. Oh. oh, apparently. So, the thought was they're going to clone him. Were they trying to clone him so that they could get a clone army of Yodas? Dude, who spotted that? That that's impressive. I don't know, but that's maybe that's what he was trying to do, right? Wow. Think of how powerful you would be if you had a bunch of force. With the problem with the Empire was that the Sith were leading it, mm-hmm. and that only two can ever be in power with with the Force at any time. That never made sense to me. Why not have a bunch of force wielders in stormtrooper outfits? Yeah, and you'd and be unstoppable. That that's that's so true. That that's a scary thought. Yeah, and, and the the inherent problem with the Sith has always been that they're so backstabby and that they're so self centered yes. and that they're so vengeful and and they have all these toxic traits that they 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 self destruct. Yeah, they can't help but self destruct. Right. It's only about power to them. That's all they care about. And the way that you get power is by backstabbing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> in this case. Yeah, so I, well, I'm stuck on that. That that's that's a really good observation, and you know now my my mind is picturing uh, this little mini army of force using, empire rebuilding soldiers. Yeah, and it could be completely different than that, but that could be one possible answer, and we'll find out. I hope we find out a little bit more his intentions. Yeah, I hope we get a little bit more backstory to Moff Gideon because I, we he's must. an interesting character. Yeah, we must. Right, it uh, seems important. Yeah, and and. Giancarlo Esposito's uh, nominate, nominated for a um, a primetime Emmy for that. And I don't know, did, did they give out those awards yet? Or is that award show coming up? I I don't think they did yet. I, I don't think they did either. Because we would have known. We, we would have known. Yeah, you're right. That, so the show's nominated for 15 different Emmys, and, and he's he's one of them, um, which is really impressive because he doesn't show up until the very end. But boy, does he make an impression. So I'm excited to see what he does next. Totally. Some other questions. So a lot of them related to Moff Gideon. We want to know a little bit more about his background, how he got the dark saber, uh, his involvement with, you know, the battle of a thousand tears. Right. right? He's got to have something to do with uh, that. You know, the Mandalorians being yeah. destroyed. Right. He. So maybe this is what does he have against Mandalorian? Why is he after him? Because he's the reason why the covert is is all destroyed and gone. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I wonder if they were some kind of threat or something. But I think I think when they're. Uh, pinned down in that cantina, Cara Dune says at one point that, uh, or it might, it might be Mando, I can't remember who, but one of them says that uh, it can't be Moff Gideon. He was executed for war crimes. And it's like, what horrible stuff has this guy done? And I'm assuming some of it was on Mandalore. And yeah. I don't know, it just it seems really almost personal. I, I, I totally agree. There's something there. And, and maybe it's just the threat of the Mandalorians because they are known as the great warriors yeah. in the galaxy. 
best at the the trade. It it could have been a preemptive strike, knowing that right. um, the Mandalorians could rise up against us. So before before they see it coming, let's just pounce on them. It could be it could be something like that. Yeah, totally. But uh, c- can I throw one at you? Sure. So uh, we already mentioned that uh, in December, John Favreau tweets a picture of a Gamorrean guard, and yeah. the the subject or the description line or whatever says something about season two. What do you think that's about? Do you think they go to Gamora? Do you think because um, Gamorians for for anybody who doesn't immediately kind of conjure that picture in their mind are the guards that you see I think for the first time uh, around uh, Jabba and yeah they're they're green skinned pig snout um, <laughs> kind of boorish faces. Uh, I think Wikipedia literally refers to them as porcine, which is the word for for uh, piggish. Yeah. And but but he tweets this picture of looks like a model that maybe you would see at Lucasfilm in the studio um, for a rendering for for designing a, a practical effects costume or something. But it's just this, this shirtless Gamorian um, who are sort of seen as being. Um, I guess sort of like dopey and slow and, and big and goofy. Uh, you know, some of them I think are, are kind of like around the, the ranker pit. One of them falls into the ranker pit with, mm-hmm. with Luke. Yeah. Um, gets eaten. Yeah. Gets eaten. That's all that John Favreau has directly given the fans. Like, what do you think that's about? That's a good question. I mean, I, maybe we're going back to Tatooine and we're going to see them again. I, I don't know exactly what it could be but other than just an, another Easter egg. Yeah, personally, I, I think it just could be another Easter egg to get people excited about it. I, I, I think that could be it. And I, and I was actually thinking, so at the end of Chapter 8, Mando and Baby Yoda set course for somewhere. They're flying in some direction. You know, now they're unencumbered because the client is dead. They're not being hunted, pr- presumably. Well, they think uh, that uh, Moff Gideon is dead. They think they're safe. They're not safe. <laughs> they think they're safe. And they're setting off course for somewhere. And I'm wondering where they're going. And, and my mind went to... Uh, John Favreau and team have been so good at giving you some uh, nods to the original trilogy and giving you recognizable stuff. I wonder if they're going to another planet that we know that we haven't been to yet in season one. Yeah, quite possibly, because I think he's done a good job of introducing some new places like Navarro. Yep. Right. And then you know, revisiting some of the places we know, like Tatooine. Yeah. So. There could be uh th- there could be a lot of things, honestly. Yeah. And I should mention that we are the type that love to speculate but don't care about our speculations at all. Yeah. We just want to be entertained. We forget about them as soon as we start watching. Yeah. Almost. Um so all these speculations we're not saying I hope this happens, right? It's just if it does, great. Yeah. If it doesn't, okay. I'll yeah. be glad with what I get. <laughs> yeah, and, and and by the way, like pretty much everything that everybody is saying about season two falls into that category of it's still speculation, right? I mean, what here, here's here's what's confirmed: we've got a picture about with a Gamorrean from John Favreau. Uh, we know Pedro Pascal is coming back. Yeah, we know that Ludwig Göransson is doing the music again. Yeah, um, yep. we know that we know that it's coming on October thirtieth. We expect the that it's going to be there. It, we, we expect that, but. <laughs> That's that's almost everything we've gotten. In fact, the Ahsoka thing, that's not confirmed. It's not. I hope I mean, it's true. Yes, I do too. So let, let's get to that piece. Of all the rumors that we've heard, of the characters that have been rumored, what do you hope is true? And let me go through a couple of them. So okay. you've got Rosario Dawson, who's uh, Ahsoka Tano. Mm-hmm. Right? You've got, I never say his name right, T- um, Tamira Morrison, mm-hmm. um, who could play Boba Fett. Okay. That's the rumor. Uh, you've got... Timothy Oliphant, 
who's rumored for something. What? Uh, something I read said that he's a self-appointed sheriff of Tatooine. I'm like, okay. What? What? What would? What would I know him from? I don't. I Timothy don't recognize Oliphant. the name. Oliphant. Uh, well, he he's in season four of The Good Place when he eventually get to it, but that okay, just yeah. as a cameo. Um, the the one that I know him from. This is kind of random, but it's uh. Uh, live free die hard it's like die hard four basically <laughs> i haven't seen it. <laughs> it's a great movie actually um and it's, is he a bad guy is yeah he... he's the bad guy okay uh and he's he's good it's it's a good movie okay. i would say but i've watched it later on i'm like oh some of it's cheesy but it's still good um that's the that's action movies for you yeah exactly so he's the bad guy in that movie. okay uh so other than that i'm not actually sure what to point to i know he's in something on netflix but um he's he, He's a guy that has played in a lot of random things. Yeah, <laughs> But well, either I, way, lots I, of rumored people. Right, right. And we just don't know for sure. And I think Rosario Dawson is probably given the most revealing interview, I guess, on this. And, and it's like one or two sentences. You know, she, she says something to the effect of, I'm excited to see where something goes. Or like, it's so noncommittal and so general and so kind of yeah. all over the place. And, and you don't at all get the sense that... Um, I mean, you get excited, but it's it doesn't sound definite enough. Um, and it could be because she's got her NDA and she's only been allowed to say certain, yeah, exactly. a, a tiny little bit. But well, um, and I also think so. One of our fans said, "Is Ahsoka Tano going to be in it? And can it be Episode One? <laughs> like yeah, they right. just want him right away." Yeah. This is the one that I'm most excited about. Okay, because cool. you learn you learn about her character in, in Clone Wars and such, and and learn that she's just awesome, right? She's got she's she's not only great as a jedi mm-hmm. but she's got such a great heart mm-hmm. and is so dedicated and I, I don't know there's just something about her that you come to love right and yeah the fact she's, that, she's a fan favorite for sure yeah and the fact that she kind of had a she was outcast right she was you know she's kind of always trotted her own trail since then like what is she doing in the galaxy what purpose would she serve i think the thought behind bringing her in here is Bring someone in that can teach the child how to use the force. That would be really cool. Right. And actually help the child learn this. Because the Mandalorian doesn't know the force mm-hmm. and isn't going to be able to help him that way. Mm-hmm. He can help train him to be a warrior and do a lot of things. You can help keep him safe until he's ready to defend himself. Exactly. But he can't be a master. And at one point, he's going to need a master. Right. Ahsoka Tano yeah. would be a great master. To It'd be really cool. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. So I am excited about that one. Uh, I will say Boba Fett does get me excited, but I need a really good reason why he's still alive. Right. And that's the only thing. Because that that Sarlacc pit looked hungry. (laughs) Yeah, it did. (laughs) I mean, it didn't really get much except for a few guys, and Boba Fett was one of them. So I want to And how often does a Sarlacc pit eat? Probably not that often, right? right? It's probably I always think like, of it as a Venus flytrap, you know. <laughs> right, right. It's not. It's not every day. It's not three square meals a day. No. Um. Even I don't know. Maybe maybe Jabba feeds it regularly with his. Um, That's true. With his bounty. Jabba's not around anymore. But he's not around anymore. Yeah. Um. But that was probably the one time that Sarlacc pit ate for a while. So um, I'm sure it, th- there's got to be a really compelling story as to how he got out. And and, and if I'll, any. I'll be okay with it if you do it right, because again, I was okay with it when Palpatine came back. Yep. But you got to do it right. That's true. There, there's a way where you can pull that off, and yeah. then there's a way where it can feel forced. But I also think, what is he going to do? Because he's not technically a Mandalorian. Right. Right? Like, right. he's got the Mandalorian armor, mm-hmm. but he's not really a Mandalorian. Right. So, 
what is the purpose that he's going to serve? Is he going to be an antagonist to the Mandalorian's plans? Could be. Or is he going to side with him? Is he? What's going to happen? So I really want to know. The only other thing that I can think of for uh, for bringing Morrison back is he could be a clone. Mm-hmm. Right? He could play someone, I don't know, he could play like Rex or he could play, he could play someone yeah. that we know from the Clone Wars. Right. And and kind of show us maybe this is what life is like if you're a clone that now lives in exile or that has found peace and stuff, which you actually get an episode of Clone Wars that's like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. I could see a lot of other ways to use them than just that one. Right. So I'm excited about it, but I... I'm probably more excited about Ahsoka Tano. Yeah, and and some of the stuff that you know I've been thinking about is the idea that I think Disney continues to have big plans for this show. Yeah. Um, and there could be things that are being hinted at right now, like Boba Fett, that might not even be season two things. Right. Like he he could roll into town season three. Season three is on the docket, by the way. Yeah. It has been official. Right. That we are going to get a season three. Right. right. They always take it one season at a time. We know it's probably going to go on for longer than that, hopefully. But season three is officially booked. Right. Uh, so uh, so yeah. we, we shouldn't assume that some of the stuff that we're speculating about is all going to kind of get piled into this next season. Like it could be a slow burn and we get some some inkling of this stuff. Like we could get Ahsoka in episode eight of season two. Don't make one of my fans, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but you never know. I hope not. I, I, I hope we get... I hope we get her pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, I hope she plays a good role uh, if she is in there. The other one that I thought that is in that camp of maybe that's later is someone asked, do we see the spark of the First Order here? Right. Is the First Order seed planted? Mm-hmm. Maybe. But that's a season three, season four thing to me. Right. Like, I, I think it might be too early. Right? The Empire is not that far gone. Yep. Right? We've still got a lot that we need to uh, see play out. Right. Don't plant the seeds yet to connect it now to the sequel trilogy. Right. Do it eventually. I'm fine with that if you do a little thing here and there and do it eventually, but probably too soon. Yeah. But that's my thought. What about you? Um I, I agree. I feel like that's a little bit further out. I feel like um one of the themes that played really well in this first season was it's it's kind of like a Western movie. Yeah. Or a Western story. And so I'm I'm wondering what other Western type things we're going to explore in season two because um I think that's going to carry on. I think Dave Filoni is going to own a cowboy hat his whole life, <laughs> and he's he's going to keep thinking of the Mandalorian as sort of a gunslinger type character, and I, I wonder what that means. And I think you know some of the some of the tropes of westerns are, you know, undiscovered country. So uh, the Mandalorian kind of exploring the wilderness in some way, and then you know running into bad guys like that. That that's bound to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, another trope is uh, striking it rich in some way. So, uh, you know, is, is he going to, uh, come into some frontier outer rim planet that is all of a sudden overrun because, uh, you know, they, they hit a spice mine or they find gold or something. Um, (laughs) like what other like Western type tropes are we going to experience in, in the next season? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think they'll keep going with that theme. Um, but here, here's a really boring, they'll find oil or coaxium. (laughs) Right, right. They'll, they'll, they'll strike it rich. And all of a sudden this little quiet frontier town where he's kind of hunkered down, um, is going to be overrun with villains, um, which kind of happened already in the the first season. And totally. Um, but here's a really boring question. Do you think the Mandalorian will get a droid now? Um, no, no. Is he, what's your thinking there? I, I think that arc might be closed. Okay. And maybe it comes back again. That's a good question. Um, not a boring one. 
I, I just think that he got the lesson that he learned needed to learn from it, and he's going to be a little bit more trusting, but at the same time still uh, holding on to this really core piece of, of the puzzle to him, right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like that's a closed book. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think maybe he'll be more open to it than before. Yeah. Um, but it can't be just getting a droid for a droid stake. Like, it's got to have a purpose. It's got to have a working purpose. He seems like a practical guy. He doesn't have anything for fun on, right. on, on the Razor Crest. So um, the droid wouldn't be for fun either. The droid yeah. would be for security and for, um, I don't know, maybe taking care of the kid too. But Yeah, may- maybe what he wants is another nurse droid for yeah. the child. So that could I, I could see. Yeah, and, and IG, remember, uh, you know, it, when the E-Web, um, I guess, munitions blew up, it almost killed him. And right. IG saved his life right. by spraying him with the Bactus spray. So, um, you know, the IG unit has saved the kid's life. It saved his life. Yeah. I, I think his perspective has changed. I don't know. Maybe maybe you'll get an R2 to maybe you'll get a nice astromech droid to steer the ship while he's napping or something. <laughs> Who knows? The, the In the world of Star Wars, there's so many droids and the opportunity is just options are endless. Right. So maybe. But I think there are... A, few sets of questions that we can probably end on and that's all related to one character that we're all excited to learn more about and that's the child oh yeah so things like what is the child's real name he's got a name right he's got a name in i fact, think favreau has said that you did yeah in fact that's why they don't call him baby yoda because his name's not yoda his name is something else so will we get it will it start with why mm-hmm. i don't know um because i think the only other one was Yaddle, right? <laughs> Yaddle. So right. you're right. They all start with Y, the ones that we do know. Um, sorry, that was really deep, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> deep cut. Um, what will be his first words? Will it be Mando? Will it be Dad? What will it be? I want to know. I want to know. Frog or something boring. What's that? Frog. Oh, gosh. I hope. Toad. <laughs> I think that's important, though. So hopefully they, they actually do give him some first words. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? He, he's been he's been like mumbling a little bit. Like there's a couple that you, you hear. Um, he vocalizes at least. Yes. Like he groans and kind of it's more like Goo Goo Gaga stuff. But yeah, so let's, he's going to say something. Some words. Yeah, maybe by the time he's 51, he's going to say something. <laughs> Has to. 50 is probably where you finally learn your first word. Who knows? Uh, and then some other questions that came from the fans. Will we see the child's home world? Will the child be reunited with with his people, with his clan. See that right? that's kind of like I think always felt to me at least as almost like being the sacred thing within the Star Wars um universe. Like yeah. you d- you don't talk about where Yoda's from. You don't get his backstory. Um you don't get an insight into his home world. Like that that is the realm of imagination. Like you as a fan can kind of dream what that might be like and imagine it, but I I just always felt like that was like a little bit off limits. I don't know that that's the case anymore. I feel like we yeah. could go there. Because I think it's a uh, land, it's just a rich, you know, opportunity for Lucasfilm to continue to explore his character. People love Yoda, yeah, and they want to learn more about him because even after forty years, there's still very little that we do know. We don't know anything really. And if you right. think about the expanded universe, and and by the way, in the back of the Shadows of uh, the Empire book, there is a really cool timeline that lays out all the expanded universe novels and where they land in, in reference to the original trilogy, which is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, and if you look at all those books, like we explore the Wookiees and you get to go to Kashyyyk and you get to go to all these different places and learn about all these different uh, folks who you see in, in the original trilogy who we all, we've all loved for years. But it doesn't ever, ever tell you more about Yoda. 
maybe now yeah. we will. I, I think they should personally. And I think this will be a good way to start doing that. Yeah. Um, even if it, here was the interesting thought that again, when Finn and I talked about, will it even be there? I will mean, they be yeah, gone? Is it, we, like there, there's so many places of origin in these stories that yeah. you can't go back to. And, and I think it would be really interesting if like the Mandalorians, uh, covert just got eliminated maybe there's some others in the galaxy spread across and we'll hopefully find out must be what if the same thing happened to the child Mm -hmm. what if they're no longer there and he is the last of his kind or the rest are just scattered and season three and season four about finding the lost mandalorians and the lost babyotas you know what else i was thinking um was going back to the beginning of the the series when ig and the mandalorian shoot their way into this bunker this you know fortified place where they're hiding baby yoda yeah were those guys protecting baby yoda who knows they're sort of portrayed as they're kidnappers they don't have good intentions that's kind of the vibe you get yeah but it could be the organization of people who have agreed to protect him from all of these other people who are hunting him the bounty hunters and so on yeah they could they could have had good intentions i that would be such a great twist Honestly, and I'm excited for some twists like that. Yeah. So if you give me that, I will totally buy it. Yeah. Because I feel like Favreau's got already the, what's the word? He's already been doing this, right? Yeah. He's already ended all these episodes on cliffhangers every single time. You're right. Right. He's going to do it more, right? He's going to add some of these twists. So if you're going to do this, Favreau, and add some more, I'm all for it, right? Because yeah. that's what's going to keep me hooked. And, and by the way, I, I could see the next season sort of starting out there. But, you know, the one thing that, that causes me pause is the fact that, you know, we've discussed that most of everything you see in, in the first season is exclusively from the Mandalorian's perspective. Yeah. So it's going to be really hard to, to shift away from that. But I could see the story going backwards in time first to illustrate or to um, give you some more background on how it is that uh, season one came to be. Um, you know, how did Baby Yoda find himself in that situation where he's in his little floating egg yeah. in, in in this warehouse type space? Um, I, I'd love to get to the bottom of some of that stuff. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think you're right. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I feel like we're going to get get some twists and I feel like we're going to get um, some more background from Favreau. So honestly, tons of questions that we could go through and we could be here all night talking about what could happen. We only have now a, a little bit over two months, uh, under two months now to wait Less than to two find months. out some of these answers. Uh, what I will say for our listeners is if you have any thoughts of what's going to happen, any questions about what's going to happen, as it gets closer, we're going to probably talk about this again. Send in your questions, send in your comments. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on email as well. The star bros podcast at gmail.com. Send them to us. Let us know what you're excited about and what you think is going to happen. And uh, if you, if you want us to react to anything else, cause chances are we will. Yeah. And we'll want to know. So keep them coming. Just like the fans that provided the content for us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. We really appreciate uh, connecting in, in any way. And I've mentioned a couple times already that our Twitter is at star bros podcast. And we've really enjoyed connecting with you guys through all those different media and um, co- real quick, a couple, a couple shout outs. Um, so our first fan question was from our friend Lou. Yeah. And tomorrow's Lou's birthday. Happy birthday, Lou. Happy birthday, Lou. <laughs> um, and the other thing I wanted to mention real quick is uh, just uh, just our gratitude. 
you know, we, we love watching uh, the number of subscriptions go up, the, the people who are listening from other parts of the world is particularly exciting. Um, you know, Ben and I have mentioned multiple times that we love Star Wars and we love connecting with people who love Star Wars. So uh, for those of you who have engaged with us from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much. Uh, we, we, we love uh, meeting you guys, albeit virtually, um, and chatting with you guys. And I just keep picturing that uh, 2022, we're going to be at Star Wars Celebration uh, and shaking hands and high-fiving and meeting each other in person. That, that That's Can't my wait. dream. Yeah, that is mine too. Really want to echo the same gratitude. Uh, keep them coming. Tell your friends. Let's make the group a little bit bigger and, and keep the party going. We're... Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> and let us know what you think and leave a comment. And if you don't like us, just email it to us. Don't put it in the comments. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, anything else? Any other parting words before we close it out this evening? I, I have a strange feeling that you have some parting words for us. I just have three. What are they? It's a wrap! <laughs>